Good morning. Uh, is it too late to say Happy New Year? Uh, first time I've been with you, so uh, glad to be back. I had a very nice uh, start to the year. You know, sometimes uh, those of you who are a bit older, like me, uh, realize your kids take you some places you'd probably never go otherwise. But uh, my daughter, uh, her who lives up in Bothell, uh, her favorite place in the world is Cancun, Mexico. So we went with both of my daughters and their families uh, down to, uh, to Mexico for a week of vacation and uh, uh, a little stressful uh, getting in, in and out of the country and losing my wife's suitcase for a little while and then finding it and life goes on and it was uh, probably the most relaxing week of my life though, so that was nice. Uh, it was also probably one of the most expensive weeks of my life, but that's another, <laughs> another story. What we do for our kids, you know. Uh, sometimes in life, we learn that uh, things that we are, are valued uh, above what you might expect. There was a rocking chair uh, several years ago that was sold for $591,000. Now, do you think that's a lot for a rocking chair? You know, I mean, you can get them at Cracker Barrel, I think, for 100 But it, it uh, seemed like an awfully expensive rocking chair, but it sold for that much because it was one that had been commissioned and used by President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Sometimes things have value because of who they come from. And today we're going to look at a, a prayer which is 3,300 years old. Uh, and you say, wow, don't you have any new stuff, anything kind of a little more contemporary? But this is a prayer that's unique because it may be the oldest prayer we have in the Bible, but it's, uh, it's a question of who wrote this prayer. And the answer is it was written by Moses. And uh, how many of you have seen that Prince of Egypt video and all that stuff with your kids? It's a good one if you haven't seen it, great music and stuff, and tell the story of, of Moses for, uh, for young people. And because Moses uh, gave us this prayer, which in Israel was turned into a song lyric, uh, we're going to take a look at that today. As we begin the year, though, I'd like to uh, take some presumption and just lead you in a guided prayer, though, for a few moments. And I'd like to uh, focus our prayer together, your prayer, on asking you to pray about some things as we begin this year. And I'd like you to begin to say, God, what do, you want, what do you want God to do in your life? In James 4, 2, it says, you do not have because you don't ask. Well, what have you asked God for, for 2023? So let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and we lay our hearts and our lives open to you. And we pray, Father God, that you would lead us, guide us, bless us into this new year. As we have crossed this threshold of time, we are people who are conscious of time. And so I would pray that in this year, you would help us as we really uh, strive to see you answer specific prayers we have. And God, would you hear our prayers now? And uh, I'd ask you to think, first of all, physically. What would you like to see God do in your in your body, in your, in your life, physically this year? What is it that you need most? How about in your emotions? Where is it you struggle? Where is it you would really ask for God's help? 
What's your goal spiritually? What would you like to ask God spiritually to do in your life this year? Thank you for condescending to hear our prayers, Father. We pray that you will bring the answers to bear. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at the uh, text of Psalm 90, we're looking at, if you have your Bible, you may want to open it to Psalm 90. It starts off with the ascription at the beginning that this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God, written in about 1300 B.C. when he lived his life as the great leader of Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land. Deuteronomy tells us that there's never been another prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 ends by saying, now, now once, you know, we, we see now through a glass darkly, but then we will see when we get to heaven face to face, prost on prost in the Greek, and it, it, it literally means that we'll actually see Jesus face to face one day. And Moses had that realization that God had, had met and spoke to him. In Psalm 103, it says the Lord revealed his character to Moses. Luke 24, Jesus writes and says, uh, I told you everything written about me by Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must all come true. So Jesus even gives his blessing to what Moses has said here. And then Hebrews 11:27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes. How do you keep going? I mean, how do you just put one foot in front of the other sometimes? How do you keep going? He kept going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. And to some people say, well, that's nonsense. He keeps looking at someone he can't even see? Well, yes, invisible maybe often in your physical senses, but certainly not spiritually. And it's what kept him going. He starts off this prayer, verse 1, Lord, through all the generations, through all of life, through all of the different generations, uh, the changes of life, think about when you're younger and, and as you get older, how you're different now. Think about your life today. How are you different now than you were like five, ten years ago? And hopefully the answer is in better ways, not, uh, not, not in worse ways. And as you move forward in life, you know, you, God, God is there with you. He's, it says, uh, you have been our home. That's an interesting choice of words. How did Moses live his life? Well, he starts off in a, you know, little thing of uh, reeds that his mother had made, who found by the, uh, by the, the pharaohs of Egypt, becomes one who grows up in the pharaoh's home there, and probably had a sense of, the, of being well-educated, uh, one of the great leaders of, of Egypt, and yet at the same time just maybe never quite felt at home there. And uh, we moved here uh, in June after uh, 27 years in the same house in, in Whittier, California. And uh, the, my wife will tell you now how much she loves her house here. And she'll say, uh, I finally feel like I'm at home. 
I never felt at home in the other place, even though it was twice as big and we lived there for 27 years. Uh, sometimes feeling at home is not just the place, it's a, it's a feeling. Uh, realtors will tell you they don't sell to men, they sell to women. Because the woman walks into a house and within about 90 seconds, she almost knows if it's the right place or not for her family. And as a result of that, uh, it doesn't always feel like home, but he says, God, here's what I've learned in my journey through Egypt and then uh, in, in the desert, uh, first of all, as, as a shepherd for 40 years, and then coming back to Egypt, leading God's people on this journey through the, through the desert for another 40 years. In all of those years of life, he said, uh, you know, as a transient person, I've, I've learned where my home is, and here's my home. It's God. Uh, if you look at Hebrews two, uh, 3, Moses served faithfully and was entrusted with God's entire house. But he was the one who felt it was also his home. Verse 2, mountains, before the mountains were created, before you made the earth and the world, you are God without beginning or end. Now, friends, some things I preach about, some things I fully believe, and I cannot explain it to you at all. When I was uh, getting my bachelor's degree, I, I majored in philosophy, and I have studied uh, the great thinkers of the world for, for a number of years during those years and, and since. But there are some things I, I, just really hard for me to understand, and one is God. Something that has no beginning and no end is just beyond the limits of my, my finite mind. I, I came to the conclusion, by the way, years ago, do I really believe in, in God? And I've been thinking about this world and how this world came to be, and I came to the conclusion you have one of two choices. Either you believe what the Bible says about a God who has existed, or you believe what scientists may believe in many cases today, that we just happened to have uh, carbon and hydrogen and oxygen, and they all just happened to come together in the right formula to create uh, life. And actually, if you study science today, most of the science says that in this particular planet we live on, there's no reason to believe life could have evolved so that it must have come from some outside source in outer space somehow that landed on this planet and created life. I mean, it's just, it takes more faith for me to believe that than to just believe what the Bible says, that there was this God who has existed and who will always exist the most amazing thing to me is that somebody like that would actually care about me. That's the hardest part for me to believe. I mean, I'm sorry to tell you this at the beginning of the message. I'm not that much, you know. Uh, when I started out as a young pastor, my first church in 1976, I would get up and preach, and, and before I would, I'd give a, a, a prayer, and I would pray. I said, "Well, Lord, you know I'm young. You know I don't know somebody." You know. One of the one of the deacons called me over to his house and made a really nice steak for me, and said, "You know, you really shouldn't be apologizing for your sermon before you even preach it." <laughs> you know, and uh, and that was a great wisdom. Uh, by the way, that was good methodology, too, by the way. He talked, his name was Theodore Redeen, and every time that Ted wanted to talk to me, he'd have my family over, and they would have something really, a new toy for my children, and they would make a really good steak for me, and then he would tell me what he wanted to tell me. <laughs> so, a good, good approach to it. Uh, it says, 
it says, uh, verse 3, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust. It's interesting. Genesis, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that this whole thing started with just some dirt. Uh, but it says that he took that dust and he made us. He created human beings, Ecclesiastes, for people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. They came from dust and they return to dust. Well, thank God uh, there's a better fate for us in Christ. Amen. Uh, I'd hate to think I'm just going to be in the ground. Uh, it was a thing we used to talk about when I was a youth pastor about the worms who are making love in dead earnest. But, uh, you know, I'd hate to think that I'm just going to end up like something like that. Uh, it says that we are created for something greater than that. And yet, when I was a boy, I'd get sick to my stomach. Uh, a lot of times this is what they would give me for medicine. Anybody ever take kaopectate? Yeah? Anyone ever take kaopectate? Okay. And as I got older, I was looking at the ingredients, and the first ingredient, the, the number one ingredient was kaolin. And I looked up kaolin to see what it was. Uh, who knows what it was? It's clay. It's, it's just a word for clay. The number one ingredient was kaopectate, was clay. So I don't, maybe we did come from the dust of the earth, you know. We get upset and they give us clay to make us feel better. Uh, it says, for you a thousand years, verse 4, are as yesterday. Hopefully better than the Seahawks ended up, uh, by the way. But uh, it was a great first half. Uh, a thousand years are as yesterday. They're just like a few hours. God has a different sense of time than we do. He's not bound by time. Time is a man-made construct. The whole idea of hours in the day and months and years and everything is to reflect the, the cycles of nature that we live within, but God is outside of those. I, I get a little probably, some of you may not even agree with this idea, but when I pray to God, I pray not just present and future, but I, I pray in the past. I pray about things that I might have been worried about in the past and just I, I have to just give it all to God uh, because he's not bound by time and space like like we are uh, for him time in the comparison that Moses gave because he knew God it says better than anybody knew God is that for him time was just like like a day a thousand years was just like a day it just wasn't significant to him it says you sweep people away like dreams that disappear or like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it's dry and withered. It's an interesting definition of life. I don't know, as I get older, what's my worst fear? Uh, you ever been in a nursing home? Uh, you ever been in a bad nursing home? You know, where you walk in the door and, and the smell of urine and other things 
is just so pronounced and you're like, oh, Lord, uh, I'm really nice to my children <laughs> because uh, uh, they're going to have to make that decision one day. And as I've said, look, I know you'll probably all be busy. You may not have a lot of time to come see me, but at least find a decent place for me, will you? A place that just doesn't stink. Uh, it's dry and withered, kind of fits. John Boykin writes, time is life, nothing more, nothing less. The way you spend your hours and your days is the way you spend your life. The great poet John Donne, keep us, Lord, so awake in the duties of our calling that we may sleep in thy peace and wake in thy glory. For seven, we wither, the grass withers, we wither because beneath your anger, we are overwhelmed by your fury. Moses had seen in his lifetime when the people opposed him and his brother, and he, uh, they were so aggressive in fighting him as the leader that the Bible tells us the ground opened up and swallowed a lot of those people into the ground. He saw the anger, the righteous anger of God against sin and against uh, injustice. And he says, you know, we, we can't stand against the power that you have. We are overwhelmed. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins. You see them all. I'm so glad you led us in that song, thinking about, about the reality of who and what we are. Uh, anybody here, ever, uh, anybody ever here, to this point in your life, you have never committed a sin. Would you hold your hand up so the rest of us can really look up to you? Uh, anybody? Oh, no? In fact, again, as Dr. Bob Cook used to say, we always stumble over the same logs in life. When was the last time you committed a new sin? It's not just that we're sinners, friends, but you know what? We're so often held captive to it. We're held captive to the, the struggles of life that we go through, and it's the same things over and over again. It's maybe how we treat people. It's what we look at. It's what we do. It's what we see. It's what we think. It's our lusts. Uh, the Bible talks about the three things opposed to God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things uh, draw us away from uh, what we could be in the power of Christ. We become... Uh, we become withered, even in our thinking. Robert Russell said, uh, love admits the truth and begins to erase it. Admitting your failures is the beginning of healing. Uh, one of the hardest things about, about sinning, and sin is the biblical word for when you do stuff. It, it says in James, he that, the person that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to that person it was sin. In the King James, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And to know what you should do and to not do it is a definition of what sin is. And to fail God because God's told you what he wants you to do, he's given the expectations, and you fail in that regard, and as a result of that, you know, you can be led into sin. Um, I like this uh, quote by uh, Knight. The nations of old, including the philosophically-minded Greeks, all regarded space as what separated God from people. Uh, Israel alone 
in all the world declared that it was sin that did so. To her, God was not up there. If fellowship with God could be pictured as life lived together in a garden, Garden of Eden, then it was sin that had excluded humanity from such a wonderful life. Verse 9, we live our lives beneath your wrath. We end our lives with a groan. One thing as a pastor, you get to be there a lot of times when people take their last breath. I was there when that happened for my father. And I've, I uh, have been there as my mother lay dying. It's always difficult. Uh, Seventy years are given to us. Notice it says they're a gift, given, they're given to us. You don't earn them, you don't deserve them, it's a gift. Some may even reach 80. Well, uh, December 8th, big day in my life, turned 72 years old. So uh, this verse scares me a little bit <laughs> uh, because it says, you know what, I'm going to give you 70. Isn't that amazing? He wrote it 30 3,300 years ago. And, and he, he pretty much predicted what life expectancy still is, even with our science and all the technology we have. If you've seen the statistics, you know that the average age of life decreased over the last couple of years because of COVID. The average has dropped. It says that this gift is given to us for a limited time. Henry Nouwen says, a life is like a day. It goes by so fast. If I'm, if I'm so careless with my days, how can I be careful with my life? Every day should be embraced. But even the best of these years are filled with pain and trouble. Life was never promised, Lynn Anderson. I never promised you a rose garden, you know? Never promised you that every day was just going to be simple and easy. There's pain and, and there's trouble that, that fills life. It's, it's not all without purpose, though. And the one thing you have in Christ is, I'm not sure that the, everything in your life is going to change just because you're a Christian. What changes is how you deal with the things that happen in your life because you have a divine resource, a heavenly resource to help you in life. It says, we are always complaining that our days are few and acting as though there would be no end of them. The great words of Seneca. Dennis Whateley, we look forward to the promise of each day, having discovered the secret that the good old days are here and now. We embrace the day that God gives to us by his grace. Verse 11, who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. So teach us to make the most of our time the old versions say to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom. I had a good friend named Dave Hale. He was one of those guys called like Mr. Irrelevant because uh, the Chicago Bears drafted him, and he was the very last player taken in the draft. Uh, and this would be in about 1968. And he, they took him because he was six foot eight, 250 pounds, and that was huge for a defensive lineman back then. Now I don't even know if he'd make the cut. But uh, he played for the Chicago Bears for five years. And he was a great guy to have with me, especially when I would go visit people. I always felt safe with Dave with me. 
And, uh, but Dave would get up in church and he would start his prayer. You see, like, the, well, Lord, today is uh, January 15th, uh, 2023. He told us to number our days. Well, I, I think it's a little different. Here's how I look at numbering my days. 26,297. That's about how many days I've been alive. And as he says, you know, value every one of those days uh, so that you may grow in wisdom. Interesting, the study of the University of Maryland and the California Air Resource Board, how do 18 to 64-year-olds spend on average the minutes in their day? And here's what they found. We sleep for 461. We work for 211. We watch TV, 121. They're saying now, by the way, because of, because of these things and stuff, we actually are on screen about eight hours a day on average now. We travel for 78 minutes. We eat for 69 minutes. Washing, dressing, 53 minutes. How much time do we spend thinking on average or, uh, or relaxing? Nine minutes a day. Nine minutes a day. Well, it, again, the text said that we should uh, grow in wisdom by valuing each day. But we're not spending a lot of time thinking and getting wiser. It was G. Campbell Morgan's prayer, let the year be given to God in its every moment. The year is made up of minutes. Let these be watched as having been dedicated to God. It is in the sanctification of the small that hallowing of the large or blessing of the large is secure. Verse 13. O oh Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our days. Lamentation is a great verse for each new year, I think. The faithful love of God never ceases. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness, and his mercies are new every morning. Uh, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his embracing of you was there today when you woke up, and it'll be there on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Doesn't say you'll feel like it always, doesn't say you'll always be conscious of it, but it says it is there every day of your life. God's blessing. Peter Lynch, great investment guru, said nobody on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. And it, uh, it's a difficult thing that people have to live with. Uh, it says, verse 14, uh, at the end, so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Uh, thank you for staying with me. And my question is, what are you singing? What's the song in your soul today? Are you singing the blues? Or is it jazz? Is it beautiful classical? You know, we, we have a song that's inside of us. And what's the music in your soul today? Verse 15. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us see your miracles again. I love this part. Let our children see your glory at work. You know, Moses said, I saw you part the Red Sea. You know, I, I saw you turn uh, the desert into a place where every day we had food and water. I've seen you do things, but God, here's the problem. 
my, my kids, my grandkids didn't see that. And I can tell them the stories, but the bottom line is uh, they need you to show them your greatness like you showed it to me. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Again, I've showed you in the past that it's okay to ask God for his blessing to help make our lives successful. And Moses reinforces that. Look at what he closes his prayer with. May you show us, God, your approval. Because we are sinful, fallen people, because we are not perfect, <laughs> we were going to church this morning, getting ready at home. Honey, where's my shirt? Honey. Oh, I think, no, it's not there. I already looked there. Where is it? He said, well, I don't know. Maybe it's still in the alarm. Honey, you know I wear that shirt. You know I wanted that shirt for Sunday. Why don't I have that shirt? And then you sit in the car all the way here. You know, I don't understand you. Sometimes you just drive me crazy. You're going to make us late. You're going to, people are going to, you know, I, I don't want to wear this shirt. I have to wear this shirt because the other shirt wasn't ready. Really makes me angry when stuff like that happens. And now I don't have time for breakfast and I'm a little irritable now. I didn't have my coffee today. And man, well, yeah, but they'll have coffee. I don't care. And then we get shirts. Oh, hey, how's everybody doing? So good to see you. Play the game. God, in spite of who we are, in spite of our humanity and our fallenness, we come together today and we want to say one big thing. We really love you. We know we don't deserve your love, but we thank you for it. And we are grateful people. And we don't know what this year is going to bring to us, but we do know you're with us. We know you're going to hold us every day of this year and that we will find even in our darkest moments that underneath are the everlasting arms of God. I like what uh, Paul Brand wrote. I remember well when I was at my physical peak. I was 27 years old and had just finished medical school. A group of friends and I were mountain climbing, and we would climb for hours. For some people, when they cross that peak, for them, life is over. I remember, well, my mental peak, too. I was 57 years of age, was performing groundbreaking hand surgery. All of my medical training was coming together in one place. For some people, when they cross this peak, for them, life is over. I am now over 80 years of age. I recently realized I'm approaching another peak, my spiritual peak. All I have sought to become as a person has the opportunity to come together in wisdom, maturity, kindness, joy, and peace. And I realize when I cross that peak for me, life will not be over. It will have just begun. Tom had his 83rd birthday this week. And I still believe that the best is yet to be. And that uh, the things we look forward with and struggle with in this life are nothing compared to the glory that will one day be revealed. Would you stand with me as we pray?
So, Lord, give us the assurance that your servant had Moses, that you are with us every day of our life. And as we begin this new year, may you really make that a, a reality, not just in theory, but in practicalities. And may we sense your presence with us through the hours and the minutes of each day. And now unto him who is able to accomplish more than all we could ask or imagine because his power is at work in us. To him be all the glory, both now and forevermore. And together we said, amen. amen. Go get them.